0: Podcast ain't playing nobody. I know what you want for Christmas. Actually, you don't want it because you kind of have to help me make it. So it's not even for you. But I know what everyone listening wants. And that's more of this damn podcast to celebrate however religiously they want to. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Bonus Lanyap. Happy holidays. Christmas uh, commute podcast. I would say for the overwhelming majority, and I know we have obviously different uh, folks of different strokes out there, all kinds of wonderful walks of life, but I think a large majority of folks are probably slogging it through America right now to go see relatives, uh, maybe just taking a vacation. Um, shout out to all of our Jewish listeners because I am extremely jealous sometimes of what I hear happens on Christmas Day. In, uh our friend Dan <laughs> Rubenstein over at Solid Verbal has told me multiple times, he's like, Christmas is great uh, we eat, we order Chinese food and watch basketball and we don't have to worry about anything. And I was like, mm, it's kind of nice.
1: we did that. I feel like, um, my dad got a job in DC in like 1999 and he moved up there. My mom was still taking care of family at home. So he was basically by himself in a studio apartment for a couple years. Um, <clears throat> while that all took, it's took care of itself. And then she moved up, but, um, we did the Chinese food in DC thing a couple times and it was spectacular. Um,
0: I think we're doing. Um, are you staying? In, you're staying in Missouri, right? Obviously, all your relatives are there.
1: Correct. Yeah, our our entire family tree of six people basically is is all uh, within ten minutes of each other here.
0: I am hosting this year, which is both a relief and also uh, incredibly daunting. Yeah. So the Godfrey clan will be in Nashville, Tennessee. Billiam. Uh, Mm-hmm. This is podcast ain't play nobody special bonus holiday edition. That's the robot Bill Connolly. You can reach him at underscore sb. Or, oh no, sbn underscore Bill C. See it just sloppy, sloppy gift giving right now.
1: This isn't the uh, official. This doesn't count towards your official record, though. This is. Oh no, no we're getting real podcast. loose on
0: this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is pure. Podcast. This is this is an exhibition match without a doubt. <laughs> um, you. Uh, it's December twenty first you probably wouldn't be able to order his book now and get it for Christmas, but order the damn book anyway. Cause you're going to get Amazon gift cards. Um, That's everybody true. gets Amazon gift cards. So order pills book. Uh, you can find them both on amazon.com. My name is Godfrey at 38 Godfrey. Uh, if you want to do me a favor, um, just, I guess go watch foul play again on YouTube just to you're see right. if we can push how it many, up. to Like how cat. many
1: views are we up to now?
0: We're not in the like baby kittens, dog, uh, puppies, <laughs> makeup tutorial. um, I watched a movie trailer and filmed my reaction level. Uh, but for I mean, real
1: content, doing quite well. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's like the pinnacle of content on YouTube. But um, yeah, let's just see how far we can push that bad boy. Billiam, uh, mm-hmm. this is the uh, – so here's the deal. It's a surprise gift, but it's also something we like. we owe a core group of listeners. <laughs> so if you have started to listen to podcasting Play Nobody in the last even year and a half, going on two years, you may not know what we're talking about. Yes. Um, a long time ago, when we started this podcast, we wanted to embark on this big project to somehow incorporate people into, literally, like the name Podcast name Play Nobody. And if you noticed, we just kind of had a soft rollout this fall of the new logo. It says PAPN, Podcast name Play Nobody. You can see it right now if you're looking on your phone or your podcast app or whatever. If you, uh, pull up an image and we will provide an image, um, over at destination.com, a high res image of the logo a long, long time ago, I had the idea I pitched it to Bill. What if we took, what if we, we mashed together and in the way you see those like strange pictures at shopping malls and airports and stuff where it's like a mosaic essentially and you get further (laughs) away from it and it like creates a different image based on a thousand little images. We asked a core group of listeners, we didn't pan pick, we just said, hey, if you're out there, and this was almost, Bill, this was like,
1: fact, at least I, two point, years ago. It,
0: I think it was over two years ago yeah. at this point, it was, um, so this started in late spring of 2016, so oh, we wow. we're close okay. to, so, yeah, we're close to, to 2019 at this point, so some of you guys, um, you your emails that we're going to read in a second, it's awesome because it's just a little time capsule from, from a couple years back, and it's just funny to see how much college football has changed. So I asked a long time ago when we were a much smaller podcast built to have you guys send in the score of the game, the college football game that changed your life. And it could, I got all kinds of awesome answers. We'll get into that in a second. Like why, you know, why this game, why this moment, whatever. Um, and then a lot of you, most of you locked in an email as well. And it kind of explained that the problem was we went through a bunch of changes uh, and then a bunch of stasis, really, with the podcast department of Vox Media. We finally got the logo we wanted um, after a couple of boarded tries. And it was one of the things where, obviously, Bill and I got sidetracked in this amount of time. I made a television show. Bill wrote another book. Um, the the damn thing happened, is the point. Mm. It is an awesome logo. Uh, it is fantastic. Um, uh, inside of that logo, if you're listening to this and you send sent an email, your Score is in that logo. So all you have to do is pull up the image and and see that basically what we did is we took all of your information, all of y'all submitted these scores of games, and then we had our graphic artist, uh, Kareem, basically. uh, Oh, man, I don't want to mispronounce Kareem's last name. Is it Kareem Carrera? Uh,
1: Carrera, I think, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, just a phenomenal artist for Vox Media.
1: Awesome. He's done multiple things that are awesome now. He took
0: Um, the scores... And then imposed, 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 superimposed, and then like did a bunch of magic, and essentially the scores themselves make up make up the letters PAPM. So if you're OG on this podcast, very OG, uh, when believe it or not, the show used to sound worse, and not in that like way worse, charming but dumb, but really dumb, full cast way, but like actually bad. Um, you were you were here at the ground floor, so your name is is etched. You know your college football fingerprint is etched on the logo. And we're very appreciative of that. Bill, how many scores did we receive? And by the way, the email range for me started in May of 2016. And it ran all the way until <clears throat> I had a couple stragglers, but basically July of 2016. That's when you guys, most of you sent in your scores.
1: Yeah, um, you sent me at least uh, 64 of them. And some, there are some overlap, some are the same, um, but let's walk through them.
0: Let's walk through um, Where do you want to start? Uh, actually, I've got a good one. I got a good one to recommend. So in my, email, in my personal email account, I don't know why I did that, um, I have basically the stories. And so we're going to try to get to as many of these as possible. We will read all the names off at the end just to make sure that everyone's name gets read, okay? So yeah. at the end of this podcast, we will just go down the list and the names <laughs> just to make sure y'all get the shout out on the show.
1: Well, um, how about since this is our podcast, we start with ours, you want to do that? Yeah, because among other things, I just pulled up. This is kind of this is actually pretty neat. I'm gonna read a couple passages. Yeah. Uh, I promise this is not um, you know just self promotion. It is self promotion, but it serves a purpose. Uh, I just pulled up a couple passages from my first book study hall, uh, in which the first chapter of the book is partially about how did you get hooked in college football. Okay, so this was um, the, probably the first time I ever spoke to Godfrey. Uh, on the phone was mm-hmm. uh, for this book, probably. That's I, true, I think yeah. Winter of, like, just beginning, like, January of 2013. God, um, was it
0: that long ago?
1: Yeah. Wow, five years. And okay. then we finally we, we finally met when you came to Columbia that fall for the South Carolina game and officially got banned from ever coming back to Columbia.
0: It's um, <laughs> not my fault. But,
1: but anyway, so uh, here's a passage from page six of Study Hall for Stephen Godfrey, a writer for SB Nation. It took a little while to get bitten. I grew up in an FBI family and we moved a lot. We went to a Marshall game here, a VMI game there, but it didn't really click. I finished high school in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, and we went to the Egg Bowl. It was there that I began to see the disproportionate amount of passion to reason, the amount of time people spend uh, obsessing over this. It was an immersion process. Um, let's see. You have people with different coal politics in West Virginia Marshall rivalry. You've got civil war ties to Kansas, Missouri. The stakes are just different. Godfrey later came back to Oxford to finish his degree at Ole Miss and decided to give beat writing a chance. His first job covering Ole Miss for the two thousand three season, one of the most dominant programs in the country in the late fifties and early sixties. Ole Miss had not been ranked higher than fifteenth in the AP poll since nineteen seventy, uh, and hadn't won a conference title since nineteen sixty three. But behind quarterback Eli Manning, the Rebels made a charge toward glory in two thousand three. Eventually, they first fell to Memphis and Texas Tech and began the season two and two. But they beat number twenty four Florida and number twenty one Arkansas, surged to number fifteen in the polls, and found themselves undefeated in conference play when number three LSU came to town on November. Twenty-second, a win would give them the SEC West title and a chance at the SEC championship. Ole Miss LSU was the perfect college football experience, says Godfrey. I remember thinking this is the most passion I've ever seen from a group of people about anything in my entire life. If I ever get football fatigue, I always remember that their passion is my passion. I guess. I guess. <laughs> um, that's ch- that may- that maybe that's changed a little bit in the in the years since. But uh, yeah, I-, I would hate to say that though.
0: Um. Yeah, no, so that game specifically was just the the sheer magnitude and the volume of it, and um, if you're a regular PAPN listener, I kind of – obviously, you put down – I didn't have a – I had a unique situation. I didn't even know what Ole Miss was until I was about 16, 17 years old. I didn't want to go to college there. I ended up there – I'm basically on a sort of accident by virtue of scholarships and the fact that I couldn't get into one school, and the school I got into uh, had a quarter system, and the scholarship aid thing was wrong, and I ended up at Ole Miss. And I grew to really love Oxford, and, and everything was kind of peaking back then. And I remember one of the things, as i become a very bitter and jaded uh, college football investigative journalist, and, uh, you know, of course, everything I reported on with Ole Miss the last two years, there's a little pure kernel buried deep down inside, and it's Vern Lundquist. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good old Uncle Vern Lundquist, and there's a clip that you can pull up pretty easily on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's just the cold open, the filmed open for that game. And it's Johnny Vaught talking about, you know, the magnitude of the game. Basically, a lot of what we just, that was written in the book about, hey, Old Miss had suck for so long. Here comes LSU, da 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 da. And it's a great, they pan out of that, Bill, at the exact same moment that, um, inside the stadium by the way it's the so it's the biggest at the time it's the biggest crowd ever um lsu's been there for three days the, the fans are trying to take over the city it's wild it's raucous i was working in a bar that weekend before i did my sports writer job people are i literally watched people go through windows and i don't mean jump through the opening in a window i mean go through a plate glass in the bar i worked at fighting <laughs> two days before the game uh, it was just an amazing time but then, so right as the cold open ends on CBS, it's Russell Crowe, and he was promoting a movie called Master and Commander, but he, he was still recently famous, really famous, for um, Gladiator. And they interspersed him starting the Hottie Toddy, which is what they do at Ole Miss games. They have a celebrity start. They just say, are you ready? And then the crowd starts yelling the Hottie Toddy chant, which starts with, hell yeah, damn right. And uh, they interspersed him asking that with him killing the uh, the tiger in Gladiator. Yeah. So it was just, it was insane. It was <laughs> it was the most electric I'd ever felt a, a sporting event crowd. It was just, it was bonkers. And as that's happening, as they start the hottie totty and it's just full volume psychotic, LSU's running onto the field and Vern says, it's goosebump time in Oxford, Mississippi. And it's just the perfect call. It was the perfect call <laughs> and the perfect moment. Um, a lot of people later on, would, would kind of get them in. They're like, well, you went to Ole Miss, and that's a game that they lost. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't think that matters at all. I think the magnitude of it, the way it ended. Also, keep in mind, this game is as close as anyone really comes to shutting down Nick Saban in, in his infancy. Now, I'm not saying, like, if he loses that game, Nick Saban's LSU doesn't go on and eventually win a national title – but I don't think that he leaves for the Dolphins when he does, if he doesn't already have a title in his back pocket.
1: I do, by the way, appreciate that the two games that we uh, listed for this whole project here were a month apart uh, 15 years ago. I feel that's, uh, you know, that's that's good... Uh kismet or or whatever you would call it.
0: Why do you think that is by the way? Just
1: just the impressionable age or Well, I do think I mean, you look at the list that people sent, a lot of them are from uh, we know a lot of listeners are our age and uh, let's see 17 of the 64 were between 2002 and 2005. So yeah, it's probably an impressionable thing. I know like you were finishing up school. I'm a little bit older than you, but you were finishing up school and I had Let's see. I just finished my MBA a couple months before this game, so yeah, I think it's basically that time period. You're it's you're either in college or you're still in college or still in college town or whatever, and and uh, at some point in there you get hooked. But um, this was in that chapter one of Study Hall. I. Listed the 10 games. It was kind of this exercise, except it was my own top 10 list. And I asked – it was really fun. Like, I asked um, Dan and Ty from Solid Verbal to send their top 10 lists as well. That got in the chapter. And our friend Senator Blutarski, uh, the, the, the the crusty old Georgia blogger, also sent his top 10 just for a, a little well-rounded experience. But uh, number six on my list was the 1997 Missouri-Nebraska game, which I believe was the my fourth ever home game as a Missouri student, the flea kicker game. Uh, and number eight on the list was six years later on October 11, 2003. Um, my write-up says revenge is sweet. In 1999, two years after the flea Kicker, we just knew Missouri was going to get its revenge, but instead we watched Ben Davidson become immortalized. We also watched Matt Davidson score another damn touchdown. Uh, in 2001, we just knew Missouri was going to get revenge, but instead we watched Eric Crouch avoid a sack in his own end zone and then race about 104 yards for a touchdown. In 2003... It happened in a driving rainstorm. Missouri scored 27 fourth quarter points, turning a 10 point deficit into a laugher with Missouri with Nebraska leading 24, 21 Missouri lined up to an attempt in a a field goal to tie the game. I couldn't watch. So I turned my back only to hear my friend Seth scream. Oh, they faked it with a cracking voice. I turned around in time to see backup quarterback, Sonny Riccio's lob falling into the hands of tight end Victor Cissé in the end zone. I watched Missouri force a three and out and score again, then pick off a pass and score again. After the game, while rushing the field along with every other Mizzou fan in attendance, I grabbed Riccio while he was doing a post-game interview and screamed, I love you so much! His response, thank you. I made snow (laughs) angels, uh, on those plastic pellet angels at least, on the 50-yard line with a friend. I bought the poster so that was uh and by the way uh riccio transferred two months after that game um to where uh delaware uh the commonly accepted reason was that he was going to be stuck behind brad smith uh, for another few years on the depth chart but i knew the real reason because you told him you loved him yeah and he had to get the hell out of dodge
0: let's yeah, it's you know it's borderline creepy i will say that yeah um
1: do you what what why that one well, that one was easy. I mean, like the the top ten list as a whole, there were some weird ones, but that one was just um, it was six. It was revenge, six years in the making for for every Missouri fan. Um, it was a it was a freaking rainstorm, as like so many of Missouri's memorable games have been. Um, and, I, mean, I feel like you guys are
0: you. Y- there's a low key thing going on with Missouri and just horrific weather. Yeah.
1: It's always awesome. like you, it's you expect
0: a certain level of cold weather at, you know, Wisconsin or yeah. outdoors at Minnesota or you <laughs> it's expect It's about cold. Level. It's just
1: like any time anything memorable happens, it rained that day yeah Um,
0: just miserable weather but this
1: was uh the other part of this was it wasn't just six years in the making it had been 25 years since missouri had beaten nebraska so this was a kentucky florida kind of thing um where when it finally happened it was a fourth quarter charge it was four touchdowns it was this huge catharsis for everybody in mizzou uh in the mizzou universe it was a great time
0: um so our scores are in there Mm -hmm. that we kind of use those basically as like exam like test examples right um you guys sent in your scores some of them instantly recognizable when you look at the list Mm -hmm. some of them not like amazingly unique (laughs) just like like to a point where and those are kind of my favorites are the games where i'm like what huh like i've never even heard of this game from history those are the ones that stood out the most to me um I'll start, let's see, let me pull up some emails. And by the way, those of you who sent emails, I've I read every one of these. I appreciate you guys sending them in. We're going to try and hit as many of these stories as possible.
1: Do we want to go chronologically? Ha- I have a chronological list here if that makes it easier to keep track of where we are. Um, we can. I'm just, I'm just going to
0: start, kind of pull it random, and then, um, I don't know, we can kind of float, I guess. Um, Andrew Gregory by the way, I will say this, Bill, and this really is kind of special, and this is why we wanted to do the show. A lot of the names that you got of of the listeners who sent these scores in almost three years ago are some of our best and most hardcore <laughs> listeners, so we do yep. appreciate that. You'll uh, recognize
1: Andrew, if he, from some of the uh, Ask PAPNs, you'll recognize some of these names.
0: Bill, do you remember a game in 2005 between Central Michigan and Army? <laughs> I do not. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Andrew Gregory says October 8th, 2005, Army 10, Central Michigan 14. I was a freshman plebe at the academy uh he's talking about west point and hoping that we can pull ourselves out of the losing streak on homecoming this one typifies my experience as an army fan and hope in and hope that things can get better again andrew wrote this may of 2016 so that's right before
1: things got better
0: exactly uh first the game occurred in 40 degree torrential downpour we hadn't switched to cold weather uniforms yet so everyone stood Ah! soaked and freezing in short sleeve uniforms and thin rain ponchos The conditions were miserable and the football worse. Typical of a Bobby Ross team, they failed to capitalize on turnovers, couldn't punch it in late in the fourth with good field position. The game sent us to 0-5 on the year and set the tone for the rest of my experience as a fan. Brian Kelly's Chippewas weren't really better. They just outlasted the Black Knights. I hope we turn it around, but my my experience suggests otherwise. Beat (laughs) (laughs) me. Um, what a fantastic email, frozen in yeah. time, Andrew. Things got way better. Spoiler alert! And uh, uh, Andrew, at the time, I don't know if he's still at Fort Hood, but he was in the first uh, first battalion, Eighth Cavalry Regiment, and I believe I am going to butcher his ranking. Um, I know he's a captain at least. Um, but anyways, Andrew, uh, you've I know he's asked multiple questions before on the show. Uh, thanks for your service. Thanks for listening. And guess what? Twenty sixteen, Andrew, it gets way better.
1: <laughs> well do you want i can do you want me to grab the next one or um you got it
0: okay this one i remember so here's a quick one i remember steven sproul you ready my score is thirty-eight twenty-four. it's the score of the 2011 clemson auburn game my dad had been a Clemson season ticket holder since the 80s, and I'd been going to games all my life. I always enjoyed myself, but I never really understood what was going on. I love C.J. Spiller and James Davis, but wins and losses never really mattered to me in the end. I turned 20 in January. Uh, this would be January of 16. That changed at the 2011 Auburn game. My interest in Clemson football was at an all-time low after the abysmal 6-7 2010 season. Man, Clemson, <laughs> Wow. A uh, different Clemson's. Uh and Clemson hadn't exactly inspired any confidence with lackluster wins over Troy and Wofford to start the season. Q defending national champ Auburn, who took it to my Tigers early but couldn't withstand Sammy Watkins and Taj Boyd's coming out parties. That's what, actually Bill, that to pause, that's what I remember from this game. Uh, it was an amazing atmosphere, totally unexpected result. And since that game I've been invested not not only Clemson football, to a much higher degree, but also my love for CFB has grown so much that I'm currently majoring in journalism in the hopes of being a college football writer. There were games <laughs> that I've enjoyed more and were more emotional for me since that game, but it's what kick-started everything for me. Thanks, Stephen.
1: In that game, Sammy Watkins and De- DeAndre Hopkins. That's a nice receiving core for Taj Boyd. They had 17 catches for uh, 238 yards and three touchdowns. Wow.
0: Man, and remember, this was a highly volatile game sort of like talent top heavy Clemson team that would still had still had massive trouble closing
1: yeah that was the year they like so they started uh eight and oh they got to sixth in the AP poll uh they lost three of five to end the re- well they lost three or four to end the regular season came back almost fell out of the rankings came back to beat Virginia Tech uh crush Virginia Tech in the ACC title game uh and then get 70 uh, then get uh, Put up the have West Virginia put up the seventy points um, against them in the Orange Bowl, which led to a defensive coordinator change that worked out reasonably well for Clemson, um, and they signed Deshaun Watson, I believe, basically a year later uh, after the Orange Bowl, or no, maybe it was like a month later. Um, either way, uh, things things thi- that that was kind of the tipping point right there. That was the point where Clemsoning went from a very bad thing to a very good thing.
0: Um, yeah, and really. A year-ish, year and change later, <clears throat> Clemsoning suddenly becomes kind of gauche to say in the in the college football blog community because they start to establish themselves as just a completely different entity altogether. It's amazing. Uh, here's a quick one, and also I'd like to point out blowouts are welcome, right? Sometimes these things have <laughs> particular memories for particular reasons. Our buddy Brad Wilgus i uh his uh, actually let me i'll do the score first september 8th 2007 oregon 39 michigan yeah. 7 i remember Hell this yeah. game too brad says i'd always been somewhat interested in college football but this was my senior year of high school and the new oregon offense completely cemented my love for those ducks who always managed to bring me some sort of colossal sorrow each year i ended up picking oregon as my dream school because of it um i re- this is the dennis dixon game right
1: Yes, yeah, that was the Statue of Liberty and fake yeah. Statue of Liberty game. Yeah,
0: Dennis Dixon is the one thing I remember the most from that game, and um, this was the game that a lot of people noticed Oregon and Kelly and all of that yeah. stuff for the first time. Because no, this was Chip
1: Kelly's coming out party for sure.
0: I mean, this was the throttling of a blue blood, pardon the pun, and a lot of people noticed. I remember. <laughs> I mean, th- it launched it launched a many think many 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 think pieces in in media at the time.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it basically won, it won Dennis Dixon the Heisman right up until the point that his knee lost him the Heisman, I guess. But um, hell of a Such year. Shame. Actually, here a few, a few more from 2007. Somehow not every single one of them was from 2007, yeah. um, surprisingly enough. Uh, we did have 28-21. Our friend Grant Gurley, uh submitted the Illinois-Ohio State game. Uh, the Hall juice williams we are going to run zone read 147 times and you-can't-stop-it game. And another one from 2007, because of course we had a lot from 2007, Uh, a semi-famous game, a young upstart coached by Jim Harbaugh, beating uh, Mm. the old heavyweight coached by Pete Carroll, 24-23, Stanford USC, submitted by Cameron Satterley. Um, You know, somebody should write a big big series of, of posts about the 2007 season. There were just a couple of things that were memorable there
0: uh he said dear bill and godfrey i grew up around football my whole life but it was always at arm's length i should have been a bigger fan from the get-go but he was born he checked this out he was born in stanford hospital wow uh i went to stanford games as an unborn child and a toddler climbing on the bleachers and playing in the dirt while my dad dragged myself my mom and my brother to the yet to be remodeled stanford stadium (laughs) i've only been to the Stadium. oh that's right that's right. That was a while ago yeah yeah uh, I held allegiance in the manner that all kids do rooting for whatever teams that my father cared for but not really understanding what everything was about um you know, let me scan through obviously he talks about the um the valley that was Stanford there for a long time Man, he wrote a book here <laughs> um <laughs> let me just say let me start with this um gosh he wrote a really he wrote a whole whole lot um, um so the twenty four twenty three game all right um He goes play-by-play here. Um, In 2007, it was necessary to, uh, given the smothering Trojan defense was best in the country, the Cardinal miraculously got the ball back on the USC 45 with about three minutes to spare. A touchdown would tie the game with the extra point carrying Stanford to victory. A field goal would mean nothing with the amount of time left. The Cardinal moved down the field with as much uh, thanks to pass interference calls as their own. Oh, man, I remember that. (laughs) Uh, Jim Harbaugh in his first year at Palo Alto was already in peak form, screaming visibly, swearing on the sidelines. Anytime anything went awry. A desperation 4th and 20 bullet to Richard Sherman. Save the drive and set up the final touchdown pass. (laughs) That's right. I forgot about that part. Those minutes spent reviewing the call were as tense as I could remember being during a football game. Once again, it came down to another 4th down. Pritchard's pass to Mark Bradford. Uh, which was again reviewed. I remember that, too. I remember this game taking a long time. And also, I remember watching this game, drinking a beer with my buddy, and it was on the Versus Network. You remember Versus? Oh. <laughs> uh, yes. tied the game. The announcer even screamed, Touchdown, USC! Almost as if Stanford couldn't be imagined to win this game. <laughs> the Stanford band finally broke into all uh, All Right Now, a welcome replacement from the terror-inducing USC marching theme. My dad jokingly claims to have PTSD from those very notes that punctuated so many failures for his <laughs> beloved team. Um, and then I'll skip ahead. He says, I still remember seeing T-shirts in my middle school pop up almost immediately to commemorate the event. They read greatest upset ever, 2423 with the S in upset scripted to be the block S of the Stanford logo.
1: I was um, not watching that game. I was at the Missouri-Nebraska 2007 game at the time watching the score updates on the screen and going, What? So that, that was my whole. I had to catch up the next day because Lord knows I didn't record that game. I wasn't exactly thinking, "Oh, this one might be worth watching." What's well, crazy? Know and he mentions
0: this because he wrote a book here. Um, like you know, fast forward twenty ten. They're in the Orange Bowl. <clears throat> yeah. Like man, it happened. And it was yeah, it, it really was still fits like and starts.
1: That. They still stunk that year, and they really weren't very good the next year either. So it it, it was it was kind of like a false start almost. Uh, but it was the first sign that like. Well, I mean, it was Jim Harbaugh beating Pete Carroll. It was a sign of things to come, even if there were some kind of conflicting signs thereafter.
0: Um, Let's stay on the West Coast. I'm just going to pick one at random. You ready? Yep. Can you tell me what happened in January 1st, 1998, in the Rose Bowl?
1: Uh, That was Michigan, wasn't it?
0: That was Michigan and Washington State. Brian Anderson writes in, uh, Michigan 21, Washington State 16. I was 12 years old, and this was the first time any of my teams had really made it to a national level the Seahawks were largely garbage and UW talking trash on the playground about a 91 title had already gotten old. <laughs> this was how many people won the national title in 1991.
1: There were two in 90 and two in 91. That's what I'm thinking of.
0: Um, this was a whole neighborhood event. Every kid within my bike rating ra- bike riding range was over. The parents had separate adult coolers. Three TVs removed into the family room playing the game with Keith Jackson piped into the stereo speakers and surround sound that's pretty cool halftime was all about playing out what we thought would happen in the second half during a pickup game in the backyard taking turns who got to be Ryan Leaf um, so I mean, he goes into kind of the numbers on this game specifically but um, uh, it was uh, it was like a parent came in and unplugged the game before it was over said <laughs> said you were in front of the tv too much or needed homework just proof dream over that sticks with a person and then he also provides a youtube video so you can actually watch this entire game up. <laughs> um it is pretty it was a pretty brutal uh, this is
1: horrible watch it
0: uh, it is pretty brutal um but i get that though again like you know i i talked about my alma mater and and how the, the game they lost is more memorable to me and, and more cherished in a weird way so i don't know um, I just love that.
1: Uh, I always remember that that Washington State team had a player named Sean McWashington.
0: That's awesome. Uh, one thing I want to point out: this is pretty cool. Um, third down bomb. He's talking about how the how the game runs out. He's at the Michigan forty-eight, hook and ladder to get to the thirty-six. Two seconds left are they as they reset the chains. The ref winds it and Leaf spikes it. The clock mm-hmm. runs out magically. The yeah. final play would have been five ninety-six switch, a crossing post and corner route, but we never got to see them try. That's Brian Anderson from Coog Center. Very, very cool game, Brian.
1: Yeah. Uh, of course,
0: else? a Wazoo fan would openly embrace a painful moment.
1: <laughs> Here's one um, from also from 97, uh, 4034, uh, from our friend James Zerbe, 4034, Kentucky, Alabama. Uh, that game is mo- uh, <clears throat> immortalized in. The uh the what's it called? The perfect pass, the how mummy, uh the 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 book that came out a couple of years ago about how mummy and mike leach and the and uh their Mm -hmm. kind of revolutionizing of the game. Really good. I basically actually I think it ends with with it basically ends with Kentucky beating Alabama, um and then goes to a big epilogue, if I remember correctly, but uh very, very cool game. That was a that was a big kind of sea change game, or it, it was seen as a big kind of sea change game. Uh, in the SEC and the past and all that stuff even though really nothing changed after that I guess
0: <clears throat> I've got one here that's funny only because uh a a listener named Salim nahar or najar sorry um he actually sent this on a virginia.edu <laughs> email account but it's it's actually about Texas Tech sorry if I doxed you there Salim uh his score is thirty three thirty nine the 2008 texas texas tech game a legendary game uh my dad is a texas alum but still knows next to nothing about football 13 year old me latched on to that school affiliation and was watching his first big primetime college football game trying to learn about american sports there's a sort of pain that sports causes and I hadn't yet experienced, which surprised me that night. Even so, I fell in love with the heartbreak inherent to college football. <laughs> and now I'm sitting here looking forward to your podcast every week. So thanks, Michael Crabtree. That's all a right. neat it's a neat moment. Again, a lot of people are embracing bad moments as as sort of pivotal <clears throat> events. It's very interesting to me. And
1: the ones who don't, it's all, there's also a sense of like the bad moments set up the good, memorable moment that they sent in. I mean, Lord knows that was mine. Um, here's one I don't need the email for because I've heard him tell the story 2002 Boston College Notre Dame our from my friend my good friend for a long time Brian Vermeaux uh, of the Vermeaux Efficiency uh, Index uh, FEI at Football Outsiders he was the college he was the person writing for college you're uh, he, he doing college football stats at Football Outsiders before I did um, he started in part because uh, BC beat Notre, his his Notre Dame Fighting Irish. BC beat them fourteen seven that day, and he remembered basically thinking that like this box score doesn't make any sense. There's got to be a better way to explain this game uh, because these stats don't explain what the hell just happened. Uh, to on, on my television, and mm-hmm. so he ended up that that kind of inspired him to start diving into drive stats to better understand uh the football that he was watching.
0: I believe he sent an email. I don't see it though, so maybe he didn't. Oh wait, <clears throat> hang on. There it is uh he uh, Brian brevity is the soul of wit y'all uh BC's office BC's offense never crossed midfield and won FBI I yeah. was born that day because my brain wanted to dig into the statistical minutia yeah. there you go that's amazing what a weird way yeah I mean that's is, this is why we do this Teresa Flynn 2341. It's a Georgia loss to Tennessee in 1994. I also remember this game. I took my then-boyfriend to his first college football game. Georgia was in the middle of a long losing streak to Tennessee, so it wasn't that hard to find him a ticket. He grew up in South Carolina, but his parents, uh, mom from upstate New York, father raised abroad, knew nothing about nor were interested in football. I, on the other hand, had, a, had Bulldogs baby clothes that my mother made <laughs> me in 1971. I could spell Georgia at age three before I could read uh, because I was taught to cheer. Um, over the phone by my godfather who apparently thought that was part of his job uh, because my father was stationed outside of Tacoma, returning from Vietnam, and God forbid I picked the wrong dog. That's pretty awesome. Um, So she goes on to talk a lot about, um, (laughs) again, there's a theme here. It's kind of amazing. We tailgated (laughs) with my godparents and other people I've known my whole life. Then we went to the game and stood in the student section. It was just a great night for football, and he'd never seen anything like it. The game started, and the stadium barked, and his eyes went wide, and he said, man, maybe I should have majored in sociology. That's a great quote. Uh, But it was a life-changing game because we lost. It sucked. I don't think Georgia led once during the game, but I never leave a game if the dogs are losing, and he never once asked me to leave anyway, even as the student section thinned out, and as the rest of the so-called fans left, all hope for Georgia evaporated from our souls, and I'm sure he was not having a great time. But that's how I knew this relationship would work, despite our backgrounds. We were married in January '96 prim- <laughs> primarily because it was the off season. <laughs> when we looked at our first house in Athens, we stepped out of the car and could hear the red coats practicing. And he Ooh. just hoped the house had a few structural issues because he knew we'd be buying it. <laughs> uh, we have season tickets, we can walk, and we can walk to our seats from our house. Yeah, He set up our audio system with a dog's setting, which is TV on, but audio set to the local radio station broadcasting huh. the game. That's the way everyone should listen, should experience their games so if they're not in the stadium, by the way. Uh, he did this so I could uh, listen to Larry Munson with a push of a button. The only time he was obviously annoyed by football was years ago when George at Vandy wasn't on TV, so I was listening to Munson while watching the Auburn game. He said that gave him a headache. Uh, but now even his dress shirts have a G logo to wear on Saturdays. The game was awful, but that's how I, that's when I knew everything else would be good. Yeah. That really touches my soul, Teresa. <laughs> it's a real, I really like that one. Um, and again, a game that nobody would instantly remember. I just remember it, I
1: think, because I'm from Georgia. Um, um, here are a couple from uh, Dutney Block and Scott Carey both submitted the same game from 2010, 34-31 Nevada, Boise State. Um one of my favorite college football games of all time just just an awesome game just the like it's it's you know i what, the thing that stru- struck me about last year's national title game was like the multiple kind of oh moments like that happened within uh, like 60 seconds or so uh, yeah. towards the end of the game <clears throat> from the missed field goal to the sack, to everything else. Um, this had like 75 of those moments in the fourth quarter in overtime. Scott I, I said,
0: was, uh, I can just say very briefly, Scott yeah. said, as a Nevada Wolfpack fan, my all-time favorite score is the program's greatest win. Um, and that, that's it. That's, that's I guess that's how it's known out there. Yeah. That's the program's greatest win.
1: Yeah, no, I was um, I was watching uh, – my parents had moved back to Oklahoma City. Uh, wife had – I was basically watching the game. Wife had fallen asleep on me on the sofa in their living room, uh, and I was trying to be quiet. And then, you know, they, they complete the bomb at the end of regulation, and then they missed the field goal and all these other things, and I, I was not quiet. I could not um, – but I think, I, like, she, 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 she was a good sport, and she pretended to watch the rest of the game after I accidentally woke her up, so I appreciated that.
0: I was in a bar, I think, in Florida – working a non college football job and it was a great example of a game that turned and I think college football does this uniquely. Uh it was a game that turned just casual viewership in a bar, a pretty crowded bar, into people hanging on every money. Yeah. That's yeah. what I remember from that game. It was pretty it was awesome. Fantastic. Um let's see. All right. Uh Nick Hey, Bill and Steven, I want to submit the score of my most important game, which is the 20-13 overtime Notre Dame victory over Stanford in 2012. <laughs> this is a game I saw from the student section as a senior in high school. It cemented my Notre Dame fandom, and it helped me choose Notre Dame as my undergrad school, and it led to me making such excellent decisions as swimming in the War Memorial Fountain with all of my clothes on during a South Bend autumn night. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty awesome. Uh, Sir? Gosh, I'm trying to remember that game specifically, though.
1: I don't Like, that was... Midseason, I just, I'm looking it up here. It was midseason. Um, they had just crushed Miami. Uh, they were up to number seven. Stanford was 17th. They went on to barely beat BYU the next week and barely beat Pitt a couple weeks later. It was kind of, they, they turned into a better team down the stretch, but this was a, a really kind of just a rugged stretch for them. Uh, but they scored 10 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, Let's see. Kyle Brinza hits a field goal to force overtime uh, with 20 seconds left in regulation. And then TJ Jones catches a seven yard pass from Tommy Reese in overtime uh, before they, uh, however, they stopped Stanford after that. But they, uh, yeah, so a nice little comeback win for the team that it would end up going to the national title game. I don't remember what happened at that point, but they made it. I remember that.
0: A game I definitely remember, and I know you do too, is the 2011 Rose Bowl. Kenny Wittenberg, uh, just to have a little realignment spice in this uh, Lanyak episode. (laughs) TCU 21, Wisconsin 19. Kenny says, getting out of the, getting left out of the Big 12 hurt. It hurt in 96, but it hurt much worse in 2009 when the Frogs finished the regular season undefeated, champions of the Mountain West, consensus number three in the polls, and got jumped in the bowl selections. Yep. So instead of getting Big East uh, champs Cincinnati, we got a BCS pat on the head and a date to play our stepchild sibling, Boise State in the fiesta. <laughs> we lost. Yep. We lost. So in 2010, all we did was go undefeated again and win the Rose Bowl. Finished number two in the polls, and I will go to my grave believing that we would have at least beaten Oregon that year, if not Auburn. I'm not wrong. No. Uh, It would have been a hell of a game.
1: No, that really was a playoff, would have been so weird that year. um, Where we could have, number one, we could have gotten both Cincinnati and TCU in a playoff, in the college football playoff, um, which would have been unique in and of itself. But then, but TCU really might have won the damn thing.
0: Kenny says, now where I live in rural North Texas, about 100 miles northwest of Fort Worth, Texas Tech alums predominant, and during the Leach years, they were pretty cocky, consistently dogging the frogs as "ain't played nobody." In despite of TCU's record versus top ten teams, after January first, twenty eleven, any shit talking Red Raider could be put in his place with "Yeah, how many Rose Bowls y'all got?" <laughs> That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um,
1: let's see here. So the oldest one on the list. Uh, yeah, what is the we, oldest one? On we the had list? a few from the nineties, but we had one from nineteen eighty seven. Okay. Andy Emboden, I hope I said that right, Emboden, 48 uh, Forty-eight twenty-one Syracuse over Penn State uh in 1987 1987 was the first year i really uh, this is my story i'm not reading an email um it was the first year i really came to understand that syracuse was a thing i was about nine i think uh they were an independent from uh, out east they'd been okay i believe under uh dick mcpherson if i remember right but that year they almost won the day of national title they uh it was midseason. they were up to 13th in the polls after having won at missouri hey um they beat number 10. They crushed number 10, Penn State, 48-21. And then they started laying waste to everybody. They beat Pitt by 14, Navy by 24, Boston College by 28. They eked by South, West Virginia uh, to head into the Sugar Bowl, unbeaten and number four in the polls um, to, and facing number six, Auburn, uh, in that game, and they they tied. But uh, You'll I, appreciate Andy's yes. re- uh, reasoning
0: here. What I, quote, knew in 1987 was that Penn State was a defending national champion and Syracuse hadn't beaten them in my lifetime and that Syracuse was an option team. On the first play from scrimmage, Syracuse ran what looked like the typical triple option, but the quarterback pulled up to pass, and 80 yards later, it was 7 nothing. Cuse, the loudest thing I'd ever heard in that dome in the first half. I had to look this up just now, but Syracuse ran out to a 41 to nothing lead Go. at one point, and it wasn't even close. Was that play the proto run-pass option? Didn't matter. <laughs> I had gone to the Syracuse-Nebraska game in 84 when the Cuse wrote a suffocating defense and a distracted-slash-disinterested number one Nebraska team was oh, a right. huge upset. Huge upset. Later that decade, Syracuse did the same thing to Florida. In the last game, Steve Spurrier forgot to wear a visor. <laughs> but those <laughs> memories are obliterated by that Penn State game, even though we now know that it just wasn't a very good team and it didn't really matter. Um, and then P.S. Of course I went to college at Penn State 10 years later. Yeah. P.P.S. On the off-off chance, Bill is speaking about the 1959 Syracuse team ever again. Gare Schwedes pronounces his last name Schwedes. Oh, so you see, I, I screwed it up. Too. Yeah, Ger- yeah Schwedes. Gerhard
1: Gerhard Schwedes. Yeah.
0: His son Scott lived down the block and eventually became a second-round draft pick. For oh, that's Dolphins. right. Wow. Um, right. So here's the best part about that. That was his memory. And I checked, I checked 87 real fast. It was like a search term in the emails. Mm-hmm. I've got someone. This is a perfect segue. You ready? Adam Sohn. Uh, for context, I'm an o- Iowa fan who was born in 1987, <laughs> near the start of the Iowa's eventual 15-year winning streak over Iowa State. Growing up, Iowa was almost always pretty solid under Hayden Fry, though I'm too young to remember the peak. And Iowa State was not just bad, but one of the absolute worst programs in the, entire, yes. in the entire country. Um. I don't, I don't really remember that, but I, I know it's, I, mean, I know it to be true. Um, my dad told me he had Iowa tickets and they were for the ISU game. It never even occurred to me that I would, might be able to see a loss. <laughs> or I might be about to see a loss. The game had come as a yearly celebration of why it was good to be an Iowa fan. Iowa had scored 63 <laughs> points in a brutal route the year before. And to make it more exciting, this was going to be the first live football game I'd ever attended. I could not have been more thrilled. What followed was nothing short of traumatic with Darren Davis – brother of should-have-been Heisman winner Troy, and also, yeah. I bitterly note, the holder of the lowest Wonderlick score in the history of the Combine, <laughs> running for what I believe was at Damn. least 500 yards. Wow. I think that game single-handedly turned me into the most pessimistic sports fan I am today, constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop and assuming that something terrible is about to happen to the Hawks and knowing that their whole season could crumble at any moment. Your numbers are not helpful, Bill. So you remember? Do you remember 2016, yeah, right. Iowa? Yeah, so thank you, Darren, because of you. I spent all of last season's 12-0 start waiting for Iowa to lose to Purdue or North Texas or Maryland or anyone. If Iowa State could beat Iowa in 1998, then the potential for sports pain is always lurking. Um... <laughs> His final, the, the actual score, by the way, of that game is 27-9. to nine.
1: <clears throat> I just pulled up the AP report of that game. Iowa City, uh, Dayline Iowa City, the streak is over, and so is Iowa State's inability to run the football. <clears throat> ISU held to some 70 yards rushing in last week's 31-21 loss to Texas Christian. Got 244 rushing yards from Darren Davis, while Joe Parmentier or Parmentier uh, scored on two short runs as the Cyclones whipped Iowa, 27 to nine, on Saturday to break a 15-game losing streak against the Hawkeyes.
0: Uh, I got a quick one for you. Calvin Masterson, Vandy, 28, Tennessee, uh, 24, November nineteenth, two 2005. It was the first Vandy win versus Tennessee in my lifetime, first since 1982. Jay Cutler hit a late TD to Earl Bennett with one minute and 11 seconds left. Vandy lets UT drive all the way down, but intercepted a pass in the end zone as time expired to win. I very vividly remember this, uh, this game, watching this game. And uh, it sticks out to me also because about 2005, about seven months later, I moved to Nashville, oh. and it was talked about. And I live very, very close to Vanderbilt, as I've mentioned on the show before. And it's talked about to this day. And it's one of the reasons <laughs> why Cutler, uh, reality show aside, Cutler is very much a folk hero in the in the Vanderbilt bubble, and always will be, just
1: beloved. <laughs>
0: um. Absolutely
1: loved. Two people, Joey Halpin and Jake Stanley, both submitted 2003 uh, Miami-Ohio State, the na- the 2002 national title game, 31-24 yeah. Ohio State. Uh, that was one of the very few, like if you were to name five to ten games from the 2000s, that would be one of them. It um,
0: was an amazing game.
1: Yeah. And by the way, uh, I didn't hate the pass interference call. Sorry, Miami fans. It was definitely late. Yeah.
0: Um, it was definitely it was, late. I
1: hate that it's late. But there was contact and it, it was it was within the range where it could have been called even though obviously last play of the game and and da 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 da, sometimes the refs swall- it doesn't throw that flag. Uh, it was still technically in the range. It's all I'm going to say. It didn't have to be called. It would have been a lot more fun to have that Miami dynasty going still, but uh I I, I didn't hate the call.
0: Um, Joey says, it was my freshman year of high school and it capped off an awesome wild ride of a season. It was the year I saw my first game in Ohio State, which was, uh, he says, Maurice Claret's annihilation of Texas Tech in their first game of the season. Um, let's see. I just love this team. I love Trestle, the defense, Ironman, Chris Gamble, championship in the desert. Um, let's see. Jake. Um, Jake wrote a longer piece and I'll just say... <laughs> When you're young and the world is simple, things like an incomplete (laughs) pass can set you off emotionally, although it's pretty sad when you're doing it at my age. Um, The thought of them getting another chance was this amazing miracle, and eventually I ran outside and cheered because my favorite team for all of two hours had won the championship. To my mother's chagrin, I became hooked on Ohio State, asking for shirts and hats and saving up enough money to buy a DVD of the Fiesta Bowl (laughs) telecast. Wow um he talks specifically he grew up in a uh Marshall West Virginia family so um very cool um let's see I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to add before we jump on I'm trying to I'm trying to move through these as fast as possible so we can get as many as, as possible in um I remember where I was sitting uh, working in a restaurant just got off work to watch that game And I remember incredulity at the time, and for some reason, I remember a Michigan fan being next to me, um, and flipping out, completely flipping out. Um, That was really a pinnacle moment for the years, actually. That was a pinnacle moment for the BCS. And that was that was a moment where they really stuck their chest out on that one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. Other than like the Rose Bowl with Vince. Mm -hmm. um that was that was one of those games where like oh this this is it we've we've solved the problems in college football this is the kind of product we can give you you sometimes it did do that
1: but and if a playoff had existed i'm pretty sure we would have gotten ohio state georgia uh in the semifinals and there's a good chance georgia wins that game but Mm -hmm. it all played out nicely um, oh, here's another I'm Ohio State next. game, uh, 2000. Uh, to, not as happy for Ohio State fans, but 2005, the first real whiteout, uh, the first real whiteout moment for Penn State when they uh, were, let's see, I think a three or four point underdog, if I remember correctly, and they beat Ohio State 17-10. That was the, the 2005 year for Penn State. That was their rebound year after a few, after a bit of time lost in the wilderness. They came back and won the Big Ten that year. Um, would have made the playoff had there been a playoff. They would have gotten rocked by Texas, but that's fine. They would have made it.
0: Another Tennessee fan. Wow. Um, okay. okay. For, Ross, for Ross Girard. I'm 20 years old and a Tennessee fan. I'm also a fan of Maryland because that's where I currently attend, but that's not the point. I'm just going to let that one <laughs> lie, buddy. Yep. Uh, I've never witnessed the glory days of the national championship or when Peyton Manning was there, so my life has been pretty tortured as a college football fan. We faced LSU in the SEC championship game, but that's about it. I would say anecdotally, right about the time I moved to Nashville, that happened, and then nothing good has happened since in in larger strokes for Tennessee, and it's been very strange to live in this state with this fan base during this valley. Ugh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Anyway, Ferris says, uh, In 2009, we had a chance to beat Alabama, and Terrence, damn Cody, blocked two freaking field goals to stop Tennessee from upsetting Alabama. Alabama went on to win the national title and a million others, and so as a crazy fan, I'm just going to pretend like if Tennessee won, none of that would have happened and pat ourselves on the back for getting so close. But that <laughs> didn't happen. Alabama beat Tennessee 12-10. to 10. Alabama probably would have won all those titles anyway, but since then, as a 13-year-old, obviously a lot of my opinions of college football and life have changed. The one thing, <laughs> the, the one thing that's remained the same, two words. F. Alabama. There you go. There you go.
1: They get plenty of opportunities to say that every year. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Kind of evergreen there.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, God, here's a fun uh, – well, fun one for me. So, uh, 2011, Alex Bame, 2011, 23-20, USF versus Notre Dame. That was the season opener. Uh, South uh, – let me see. Oh, the Lightning um, game. Yeah, they, there was a delay. Notre Dame outg- doubled South Florida's yardage, 508 to 254. Yeah. Um, they also turned the ball over five times. Kayvon Webster opened the score in four minutes into the game with a 94-yard fumble return. Uh, so despite getting, like, gaining nothing and giving up a crap ton of yardage, uh, they led at 1.23-7 and held on for dear life. Uh, Notre Dame scored with 21 seconds left to make it 23-20. Otherwise, it was going to be a double yardage and lose by double digits game, which is really hard to do. But Notre Dame pulled it off
0: um sean leg you guys requested a game Uh, and i'd like to submit the 1998 big 12 championship game texas a&m 36 kansas state 33 this was a hell of a game as a bitter
1: missouri fan who had just watched his team barely lose to kansas state and who was very jealous of kansas state at the time oh Oh, boy i was an aggie fan that day man it's crazy um I just turned 12 that season.
0: My dad was very into college football, so I was already so I was already very acquainted with it. But 98 was the time when I really started in, into my own fandom. I had just moved to a new city, so college football was the big constant in my life during the 1998 season. The game was huge in cementing my fandom, both to college football and A&M, the latter of which would be coming extremely tested over the following decade plus. <laughs> uh, and he <laughs> postscript, I can tell in his sig on his email, he is a... Um, it looks like he was getting at the time his PhD or got his PhD from Texas A and M. So nice. there you go. That was um that was the first time I remember the Big Twelve Championship having that just automatic madness requirement. It's like well, kind of, it was, was it that game? or was Well, it a couple of that?
1: years earlier was when Texas kind of stunk, but upset Nebraska and knocked them that, out no, of the title Yeah, game you're right. You're right. It was the yeah. second so time. So we had, that's two of the first three years of the big 12 title game. It knocked a, a, a team out of the national title game. Uh, and then they were desperate. To, that, that was one of the, having experienced that up close and personal, that was one of the reasons I always found it very funny that they were desperate to bring that game back so that they could help themselves in the national title race. Earlier that day, sorry, earlier that day is another game on that list. Uh, 1998 UCLA Miami from Nathan Eberhardt, 49 45 Hurricanes. Um, By the way, David Ubbin. Uh, for The Athletic did a lovely piece. We, I think we've all kind of beaten the whole oral history thing into the ground. It's not really an oral history. It's just a, he talked to a lot of people and wrote a story. Um, but he wrote about that day being one of the best days in college football history where you had UCLA losing to Miami. You had uh, Kansas State losing to a You had a, uh, Tennessee trailing Mississippi State but rallying and winning. And you had uh, Bobby Bowden sitting on his sofa – sitting on his ass on his sofa at home watching his team qualify for the BCS title game out of the blue because those two teams had lost. See, and
0: all those nice things I just said about the BCS, I forgot about that.
1: <laughs> it was a nuts year right there.
0: This is a, this is a hipster poll here, but I appreciate it. Ezra Hood. The game that I hated so much I love it was TCU versus Southern Miss in 2003. <laughs> the Golden I remember this game. Oh, the Golden you? Eagles won 40 to 28. The game was TCU's second try in four years to break into the BCS. Each season, the Horny Toads came pretty close and then flamed out late in the year. For the 03 Southern Miss game, the Frogs had risen to fifth in the BCS, I think, when a non cartel team. Oh, remember the cartel Cartel. That, when a non cartel team had to rank in the top four to get a bid into a BCS bowl. Southern Miss was the last pretty good team remaining on the Frog schedule, and TCU played terribly for four, three quarters. Late in the third quarter, however, the Frogs, down 31-6, to six, came alive. TCU scored three times in very quick su- succession, narrowing, narrowing the deficit to only three points with about seven minutes remaining. And then the Frogs stalled, and the game, the dream of breaking down the BCS, <laughs> and all things horn-toed, slipped away for a while. Really, well, TCU didn't regain its mojo until 2005 those were uh, high highs and low lows good times
1: <laughs> another another fun yardage game 429 for TCU 278 for Southern Miss four turnovers for the for the horn frogs that'll do it that'll do it um oh man oh right, to knock one out uh our Peter Metzger also sent in the 2003 Missouri Nebraska game so I was there so was Peter I bet uh, and, and our- Patrick Bean also sent in the old Miss LSU game from 2003 so Oh, shout out to
0: him. I think he's an LSU
1: person, I think.
0: Uh, Joey Weaver, a um, uh, Georgia Tech fan uh, from the Rumble seat. Uh, big, long story about forty five, forty 2008. Uh, he was a senior in high school. He decided a few months prior that I wanted to attend Georgia Tech to study engineering, much to the dismay of my Georgia-bound then-girlfriend and her Georgia-owned <laughs> my family. Wow. Um, I feel this. He wrote a really long story about it. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll dip in and out by halftime Georgia had amassed a 28-12 lead to nobody's surprise Georgia Tech's touchdown had been a pick 6 and one successful second quarter drive in between 4 passing TDs from Matt Stafford Mohamed Massakoy had
1: a big game that day I don't
0: think I saw this game uh, at halftime we went down to the concourse to get out of the rain and it was making no effort to return to the trash talk I was getting from her dad and <laughs> other fans there was no point Georgia Tech had lost 7 in a row in the series and I knew how this game would end. except it didn't Or I didn't. On the first play after halftime, Jonathan Dwyer took a handoff and went 60 yards to the house, adding a two-point conversion for good measure. The Defense forced a three and out, and then Georgia Tech went 56 yards in 10 plays for another touchdown, another two-point conversion to tie the game. The ensuing kickoff saw Georgia fumble at the edge of the red zone and Dwyer take a handoff on the first play for another Georgia Tech touchdown. After only seven minutes of football, Georgia (laughs) Tech had turned a 16-point deficit into a seven-point lead. And the fans around me had gone from quote partying and trying not to shit talk too badly on this high school kid, all the way to quote losing their minds angry. I specifically remember an instance where Stafford threw a deep pass that was probably completed, maybe for a touchdown, but called back on OPI, to which my then girlfriend's dad was legitimately claiming the ACC referees had it out for Georgia. <laughs> um, that's pretty awesome. That uh, it doesn't because of the disproportionate, you know, quality of the programs. The, it really hasn't lived up to the to the good old fashioned hate uh, name, but if uh, if Jeff Collins does get it going, that is a rivalry that is secretly nasty.
1: And there was a period, there was a nice run there, I believe, right around Paul Johnson's. Taking over where there were, a, there was a really nice set of games. There was that one. I'm looking up the series here. It was 3024 Georgia in 09, 42-34 Georgia in 2010. Um, let's see, a couple of years of bad. 4134 Georgia in 2013, 3024 Georgia Tech in 2014. There were some good years. It, it, it faded. It faded again, but it was good there for on and off at least.
0: A very strange game to add on this, but I'm going to allow it. I like okay. it okay
1: austin wheeler it just
0: said the subject line said significant game houston nut (laughs) and then for the score he just wrote 52 to (laughs) 3 my significant game came from my freshman year of college i watched number one lsu absolutely destroy a houston nut led ole miss team 52 to 3 in oxford in 2011 it was about what you expected over in about thirty seconds, with LSU scoring on a pick six. However, the game was memorable. LSU passed a grand total of eight times. <laughs> How Alfred Blue had seventy-four on four. I yelled mean things about Jarrett Lee's mother, um, while someone, <laughs> while some, while something called James Stampley scored LSU's seventh touchdown of the game. This game is significant to me because it taught me a lesson about narratives. At the five-minute mark of the second half, LSU ran a naked bootleg with Zach Mettenberger at quarterback. I don't know if Mettenberger decided to take the game into his own hands and disobey a run play, or if it was planned. Either way, it gained 25 yards from the 26-yard line when they were up by 49. (laughs) After Mettenberger's attempt to dive into the end zone had failed, Les Miles then called for his team to take a knee four times in a row. I remember that. After this game, the national media debated whether or not Miles should have been commended for having such mercy to take four knees in a row, or if that was an insult and he should have run the ball instead. There wasn't a single mention of the bootleg in the post-game interview on ESPN or anywhere for that matter. It sounds like sour grapes, but I really stopped caring about narratives after that game. (laughs) And and today, I am always in favor of running up the score. (laughs) So before we recorded the show, we were going through the scores, and this was the one I was like, what? That's a great, great
1: story from Austin. Uh, two really super needs no explanation uh, entries here, since we do. I guess have to pick up the pace a little bit. Um, nineteen ninety four, Robert Baker, twenty seven, twenty six, Colorado, Michigan. Uh, if that doesn't immediately resonate, just hop on YouTube and put in nineteen ninety four, Colorado, Michigan, and you will be immensely rewarded uh, for the hail hail mary that you are that you get to watch uh cordell stewart to michael westbrook that was an amazing amazing game and then um more recently austin miller 2015 5352, arkansas Ole miss one of the most spectacular games um, i was there oh that <laughs> like that and, and what's funny is i see I, I know which game that was but i had to think about like which crazy which crazy arkansas Ole miss was that again oh it was that one um just uh just the stupidest series of the 2010s, and that game. I'm still no. Mad I'm sorry.
0: Though. I'm sorry. I just said I was there. I was not. I was working here in Nashville because as what you just had what you just said happened to me, Bill. Where I thought you were talking about the seven OT Houston Nut Arkansas game. No,
1: no, there was that one. This is
0: the this is the fourth and forever. Um, yes. Uh, what's the tight end's name? Uh, Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> where. Uh, where carter blackburn like i like carter blackburn cbs is carter blackburn just fine um he he made the most reserved call for the stupidest greatest play in college football history in that in that moment but yes hunter henry on fourth and forever just wings it over his head somehow it ends up in who alex collins hands i believe he somehow converts the fourth down Uh, arkansas goes on to win the game on a two-point conversion actually it wasn't even just that they went ahead and scored they went for two and got it i believe if i remember correctly Uh, um, or maybe that was an overtime. I'm but bl- no, I, man, it's all blending together. Anyway, um, they barely win that game, knocking uh, Ole Miss from atop the SEC West, allowing Alabama to win the SEC West and the SEC mm-hmm. and the national title. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, speaking of blowouts, that wasn't a blowout, but the one
0: I read was. Ryan Sump, the game that probably had the most impact on my life would be the 2012 Big Ten Championship game between Nebraska and Wisconsin.
1: Before I go into
0: why, a little bit of context. I began my freshman year at Wisconsin that year, and coming from a small town outside of Omaha, I didn't know anyone in Madison before I moved to the dorms in August, didn't have previous experience with or connection to Wisconsin Badger football. Because of this, the Huskers were still my primary team as they were what I had grown up with my entire life. I still enjoyed going to games at Camp Randall, of course, but my heart remained in Lincoln. That game was a slaughter with Wisconsin winning 70-31. I remember this. Oh, God. While there were some great plays during that game, the Kinney Bell block was completely legal, by the way. It was factors outside of the game itself that makes this game important to me. As the game went on and I became more and more miserable while my friends became happier and happier, I finally had the realization that I should be as happy as them because I should have been cheering with them. When I first got to (laughs) Madison, I was worried that I would be losing a piece of my identity if I began rooting against Nebraska for any reason. But this game made me realize that it's okay to primarily cheer for your alma mater slash current school because it's fun to bond with these people you never knew before over a football game and that it kind of sucks to be the only person in the dorm rooting for another team to win. (laughs) If you want to say that the Badgers beat, just beat any resistance I had left in me out of my body during that game, I guess that explanation would work too. Either way, as I sat home back in Nebraska exactly two weeks after graduating Wisconsin, I know I made the right choice.
1: <laughs> money, um, that's money a very Ball. interesting story. Moneyball, 21 carries, 202 yards, and three touchdowns. James White, 15 carries, 109 yards, four touchdowns. And my fav- favorite line, Melvin Gordon, nine carries, 216 yards, and a touchdown.
0: My One of my best friends uh, the entire time he was in Oxford um, grew up in Pflugerville, Texas, diehard horn, uh, came to Ole Miss on a, I can't remember what kind of scholarship it was, but never, n- never, ever stopped cheering for the horns. I think he cheered for Ole Miss once or twice. <laughs> and then I also had a roommate for a while who did the same thing for Arkansas, which is even weirder. Um, yeah, I know a lot of people who do that. It's a very strange phenomenon to me.
1: I had a in the dorms. There was a kid from Connecticut who um, was a hardcore UConn basketball fan, and and so we had to we got to watch them win their first national title with him, um, which was kind of awkward. But you know, whatever. Uh, ugly game, two thousand six.
0: USC-UCLA, 13-9. to <laughs> Josh Hernandez says, uh, it was the game that knocked USC out of the national title game. I was a student manager for UCLA at the time, and this is the game that made college football stop being an interest and become an obsession. I felt like the consequences were bigger for these games than in any other sport I'd ever watched. Um, I remember that game. I just remember it was,
1: was awful so gross. To watch. It was
0: really rough. But, yeah, hey, man, everybody and, and that
1: allowed Florida to get into the national title game.
0: Um... Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, ben Briner will do. Uh, Trying to parse these as, as quickly as I can. Michigan twenty-seven, Wisconsin twenty-five, and this was in two thousand and eight. I was covering the game in college as a dazed and confused student editor. Wisconsin was supposed to be good, number nine at that point, and went up nineteen nothing on Rich Rod's trash. Tr- <laughs> Rich Rod's trash first Michigan team. The Wolverines had five turnovers and twenty-one yards at halftime. Jesus. That everything went to hell. Michigan rallied as <laughs> Michigan rallied in as unesthetically pleasing a way as a team could. <laughs> there was a fifty-eight-yard Stephen three run that looked that took about five minutes. The game ended as the Badgers drove late down 27-19, scored a touchdown, had a two-point conversion erased by a procedure penalty, and then finally missed the second try. Michael Phelps was on the sideline for some reason. <laughs> Um, at some point during the game a friend sent me an AIM message oh wow shout out to Hey, asking why is this happening in some sense something clicked (laughs) that it was my job to go down to the post game and find out why so I could explain how this disaster of a game happened see Ryder feeling more important than he actually was you kind of have to I'll be honest you kind of you kind of have to put an ego on to do that job it also severed a lot of my vestiges of visceral fandom. I was far more fascinated in the mechanics of a collapse than being crushed by the outcome. I wasn't mad, just interested. I also came away with that sense of devastation as a far richer emotion to explore the thrill of victory then, then the thrill of victory. God,
1: that sounds like a middle school book report. Um, Stephen 3, 12 for 31 for 96 yards and two picks in that game and a win. There were nine turnovers, five for Michigan and four for Wisconsin. Ugh.
0: That kicked off a four-game losing streak, and after each game, Brett Bielema declared that the team most responsible for Wisconsin losing was
1: Wisconsin. A season with big expectations ended in a seven-and-six quagmire. Um, they got crushed by. Oh, that's right. That was the year that they barely beat Cal Poly to finish the season in a weird little scheduling thing there, and then they ben, got destroyed uh, by Florida State.
0: Ben brings up a really, really good point. If you never, if you don't own any sports writers, or you are constantly thinking about how some sports writer you know is biased because of the name on his degree. Everybody who does that job has that moment that he talked about where he was a student at – I've met Ben before. He was a student at the University of Wisconsin. That wasn't in the story. but So he's working for the student paper for Wisconsin, not Michigan. And you have that moment where you stop feeling like a fan and you want to go down and and look at this thing analytically and also communicate as to exactly why it happened. It's exactly what Ben said. I remember having those moments specifically. And for me, I really think it came in 2004 – post-Eli Manning, and and it was even tougher for me because I remember really, really, and still to this day, respecting and liking David Cutcliffe. Mm-hmm. And then ha- th- them having a terrible year, them running the wrong kind of defense, them doing a bunch of stuff, and taking that first couple steps back and saying, well, like, no, they're wrong, or you should know this, or <laughs> not so much living and dying, whereas, like, you and I still have sports teams we cheer for, and we feel very differently. Like, when a team I'm just a fan of loses, I don't. Sometimes I'm irrational, as Bill can tell you. What? Like, I don't want. <laughs> I don't want to step back and go. All right, let's, uh, let's analyze this. I'm like, no, I want to go scream in my backyard. Um, so that's that's the separation. That's the moment. Uh, it's a good story, Ben.
1: Uh, two more that are pretty obvious um, that we can walk through pretty quickly. Number one, Stuart Brown, 2011, 37-31, Iowa State, Oklahoma State. Uh, speaking of speaking of funky breaks that allowed Alabama to win a national title. Uh, I will forever say that that field goal that OSU kicked at the end of regulation was good. Uh, it, it did not count as good. It was called no good. Iowa State wins in overtime. And, and uh, as we know, Alabama gets the rematch that leads to the creation of the college football playoff. So Oklahoma State took one for the team in that regard. Um, Nick Juskowitz. 30 to 25. Another one that if, if you don't know it, just go ahead and hop into the YouTubes and watch it. 30 to 25, 2005 Capital One Bowl. Nick Saban had just announced that he was leaving Louisiana State. And then God left Louisiana State as well. Warren Holloway from Drew Tate, 56 yards as time expired. Uh, Iowa. In, in maybe the most exciting moment of the Kirk Ferentz era, uh, wins, wins at the buzzer in that one. Uh, Chris Barnwall. UCF 38, Louisville 35.
0: Both my parents attended UCF. My mom worked at UCF for a short time period. They can recall when it was so small in the dining hall, you could visibly see across the room to where the faculty seating was. That's amazing, too. I'll just stop and mention because UCF (laughs) is one of the largest schools in the country now by undergrad volume. It's kind of incredible how much the school has grown over the years, but with that growth came more punchlines about the school. Quote, it's a commuter school. Quote, you can't finish UCF. Get it? Uh so when I kind of when it came time to pick a college and I chose UCF there wasn't an immense amount of school pride associated with my pick sure I wanted them to do well in sports but it was really it wasn't really a factor in my decision the UCF Louisville game is what turned me from a not a not casual but definitely not heavy metal voice hardcore UCF fan that just enjoyed CFB thanks to NCAA football games in the 07 season I think he means the video games um uh, in the 07 season second ranked Kansas he writes in all caps to someone that really felt like school pride that that, I'm sorry, to someone that really felt what school pride meant. I knew that if UCF won that game, they had a chance to go to a BCS bowl. And when Blake Bortles started that game winning drive, I was on the (laughs) edge of my seat living and dying with every throw. I finally understand that feeling. I finally understand that feeling that every college football fan gets. And it's made, it's made it that much more fun ever.
1: since. Charlie, uh, well, yeah, Jeffrey Godfrey catching the game-winning touchdown pass with 23 seconds left from – Yeah,
0: I remember that Jeff Godfrey Bortles. was a player on UCF.
1: I oh, that. former quarterback, actually, now that I think about it. He, yep, was, he was the wide guy replaced by Blake Bortles, and he catches the winning t- pass, yeah. Yeah, removed wide receiver.
0: I don't know why I know that, but I do. Um, Bill, mm-hmm. we could do this forever. Yes. We really could, but we can't. We have to go. We have to go <clears> celebrate <throat> the holidays, which I hope, uh, I hope you guys get to celebrate the holidays. Uh, we didn't read every score. Well, we are going to read it. A-
1: we, we can finish by reading the other scores, even if we can't really comment. How's that? Uh, let's, yeah, I, let's I've, do got, that. I've let's, got the leftover. I've been keeping track. So I know I have the awesome. last we haven't mentioned. Okay. Let's do it. We, we'll do chronologically. Bo okay. Go for it, my man. Bo Zimmerman, 1997. UVA Clemson, 21 7. Uh, Jerry Lambden, 1998. Florida, Tennessee, 2017. Uh, but, well, Tennessee, 20, Florida, 17. Um, <laughs> get that part right. Uh, Joe Benchneider, uh, Northwestern, Michigan, 2000, 54-51, Northwestern. Uh, if you haven't ever read all the things Chris Brown has written about that game and the impact it had on, on the acceptance of the spread offense, please do so. Two thousand. Okay, here's one that uh, I don't know the backstory for. 2002, Daniel Powell, Navy SMU, 38-7. Uh, 2002, Florida State, Miami. Um, uh, another one where uh, – well, I should say Miami, Florida State. Uh, Ankit Sharma, 2002, 28-27, Miami. 2002, Florida State, UL. Uh, I guess that's Louisville and not Louisiana Lafayette, huh? Oh, that's, uh, the,
0: that's the field goal in the rain game.
1: 26-20. Yeah. From, that's, that's from David Cowley. Uh, 20, or 2004, Zach Travis, Michigan, Michigan State, 45-37. Two, okay 2005 uh oklahoma or texas oklahoma forty five twelve texas from brent lipinski that was a massacre uh nathan lawrence 2006 georgia auburn thirty seven fifteen. uh which one was the 37 was that georgia i have I no recollection of that game whatsoever i'm going to hurriedly check because i want to get it right even though i think i've probably already screwed up some of these 2006 georgia auburn yeah, Georgia won 37 15. Uh, um, 2007, well, t- 2006, oh, 2006 07. Uh, Chester Lech, uh, another friend uh, of the program. Letch, Lech, Lech, probably. 41 uh, 14, Florida Ohio State in the national title game that Florida qualified for because USC lost to UCLA. 2007, Cameron Satterley. This one goes without uh, any sort of uh, need for explanation. Stanford, USC, 24 23, Stanford. No, we, no, 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 we did explain, explain that one earlier. Uh, 2007 Clemson FSU. Uh, a season opening win for Clemson, 24-18 from our friend John McElhaney. Uh, 2007 FSU, again, against Boston College. Boston College is up to number two in the country. Uh, Sam Lopez remembers this game. Florida State wins, 27-17. Keith Stevens, 2008 Iowa Penn State, 24-23. Uh, Kevin Sabera, another one for Texas Texas Tech in 2008 3933 Texas Tech um Eric Bees. oh wow did we did we get two people submitted in 2008 Michigan Wisconsin seriously uh wow. Eric Eric Beesbrock. that that was an impactful horrible game everybody remembers that when they saw nine turnovers uh 2009 South Carolina Clemson Trayton Miller 34-17 uh, which, which team one that one 2009 2009 2009 this is great radio. How fast can I type? South Carolina won that game 34-17 in 2009. 2009, Auburn, West Virginia. From Ben McCullough. 41 uh, 4130, I believe, Auburn? Yeah. Or, okay. Okay. Uh, 2011, Michigan-Notre Dame, 35-31 from, Mich- from Michael Norman. 2011, Penn State-Nebraska, 17-14 Nebraska. No, 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 that was the, the Penn State, uh, yeah, that was where where I believe, did Paterno break the record with that game and then things happened? Uh, anyway, moving on, Brett James Vandenberg, uh, 2011, Michigan State-Wisconsin, 42-39. I believe that was the Big Ten title game uh where michigan or wisconsin wins at the buzzer uh no 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 that was the hail mary game earlier in the year i believe 2012 no nc state florida state 17 16 sam thomas is that the fat guy swinging his uh his shirt sure is stands okay uh, two th- uh 2012 Oklahoma Notre Dame. Andrew Mellinger 30 to 13. Uh, N- Notre Dame wins that game in Norman. Really strange game. 20, let's see, we got 2013 UCF Louisville. 2013, Penn State, Michigan, 43-40. Uh, I think another whiteout game, if I remember correctly. 2013, Miami, North Carolina, from Gary. Oh, the uh, Cody McKeon. McKean uh, sent submitted Penn State, Michigan. Uh 2013, Miami, North Carolina, Gary Bonnewell. 27-23 uh i have no immediate recollection of that game 20 uh, 27 23 miami number 10 miami wins uh, at night at north carolina 53 52 austin miller arkansas Ole miss already said that one and the final one 2015 temple penn state 27 10 john shaw remembers 27 10 temple the 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 earliest and latest i believe entries in this whole process uh are penn state losses interesting
0: um, Bill, that's gonna do it. Uh we hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, our apologies that it took about almost three years, <laughs> two and a half years to get it done. And then it we took us like three
1: hours to, to get through, but that's fine. Yeah, we
0: did remember uh we love you guys. Uh we appreciate you guys taking the time to write um all this stuff. Um hopefully we did it justice. And yeah, you can find yourselves in that logo. Uh so you're forever a part of PAPN. Uh we appreciate that, and we will see you guys in the new year. Indeed.